Okay, if you uh, want to turn this, uh, actually these pages got cut off a little bit, very bottom of page five and, and then uh, page six. Uh, over the years, I've had people that have come to me and say, you know, I, I just don't know how to witness. And when someone says that to me, I always ask them this question. I said, so if your next door neighbor came over, started pounding on your door, you answer the door and your neighbor goes, you know, I, I just found out, my doctor just called me, I just had blood work return. I've got this strange disease, don't worry, I'm not contagious or anything, but my doctor says at best, I have two hours to live. I know that you're a Christian. Can you tell me how I can have my sins forgiven? Person says, well, well yeah, in that situation, uh, of course, of course I could share the gospel with them. And, and I think they could. They might get spiritual laws two and three backwards, but basically they could point that person to faith in Christ. What they're saying when they say, I don't know how to witness is, I don't know how to get started. My neighbor's not coming over pounding on my door, begging me to talk to them about Christ. How do I initiate that conversation in a natural way? So there at the bottom of page five, you see a, a process. Explore, stimulate, and share. I was taught this process as a brand new believer over 40 years ago to serve me very well. So here's how this process works. When, when I first meet someone, my goal is, is to get to know that person. I, I want to learn all I can about that person. Now, there's two primary ways we can do that. The first is simply by observing. If you were to come into my wife and I's home, we live over here on the east side of Louisville off of Hurstbourne. If you were to walk into our home, walk into our living room, how could you tell what was important to us? Well, you might look at what's hanging on our wall. And, and you would see a lot of pictures of family. You'd see pictures of all five of our kids on their wedding day, and you'd see pictures of our grandkids, and you would immediately know, okay, they have a large family and they love their family, all sorts of pictures. You, you would see a picture of me standing on the Swilkin Bridge on the 18th hole of the old course at St. Andrews in Scotland, the home of golf, where golf started. Every great golfer who's ever played the game has stood on that bridge. And then some of the rest of us have as well. <laughs> and immediately, without me even saying anything, you would know two things about me. Number one, that I like to golf. And number two, I have a wife who really loves me because she lets me hang that picture <laughs> in her house. Well, what else could you observe? Well, you could look at our bookcases. And if you were to come into our home and look at our bookcases, you would immediately conclude, wow, they're religious. All these books are religious books. Well, they, they've got multiple Bibles, not, not just one Bible, but Bibles, plural. Wow, they're, they're very religious. You, you would know all of that just by observing and may, may not even saying anything. You would see a copy of Field and Stream magazine, brand new issue just came. It's on our coffee table. You might conclude, wow, uh, Mrs. Booker must be a hunter. Uh, no, uh, she enjoys eating what I shoot, but she doesn't enjoy hunting. But I love the outdoors, grew up in the outdoors. See, all of that in 10 seconds, just by observing and paying attention. 
Years ago, I saw a bumper sticker that read, be alert, the world needs more alerts. Well, I, I would maintain the church needs more alerts. We, we need to be alert. As we meet people, just pay attention, observe. A second way to get to know somebody is by asking questions. By asking questions. If you will learn to ask good questions and then listen, people will tell you a lot about themselves. Many times give an open door to talk about spiritual things. So first, explore. Observe, ask questions, listen. Second is stimulate. This is where you bring spiritual things into the conversation. Remember how Paul asked for prayer for the Colossians? Colossians chapter 4, Paul says, Pray for me that, that I might have my speech seasoned, as it were, with salt. Well, what does he mean by that? He's talking about spiritual things. We've all heard the adage, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, but you can salt the oats. Stimulate is when you bring spiritual things in. We're going to talk about various ways to do that, and then you share. Now, with the belief that a picture is worth a thousand words, let me just walk you through this process, one, one instance in my life, and this this is how whenever I meet someone, this is immediately the process that I follow. So this particular day, I happened to be flying from Chicago to Houston. I was speaking at a banquet there that night, already dressed up in my suit, was gonna get picked up at the airport, speak at the banquet, spend the night, fly back the next day. So didn't even have a, a change of clothes, just, just gonna zip back. I get to the airport late because there's road construction and they had an equipment change. Now, if you ever travel, you know those are horrific words to flyers, equipment change, because it means that all the seating's thrown off and all this. And so I ended up not in the seat that I selected, but in what back then was the bulkhead row where they would put parents with small children. Uh, the bulkhead row is the row right behind first class, for those of you that don't fly a lot, where you can actually see real food and smell real food while you're eating the bag of stale peanuts uh, they gave you. Uh, now that's reserved for more frequent flyers, but back then it was, that's where they put moms with small children because you had that wall and the kids could kind of stretch their legs run around. So before I even sat down, this mom started apologizing to me. She had a very active four-year-old daughter. Before we took off, this little girl had managed to slap my tie twice with her sucker. Big sugar stains on my tie. I didn't have an extra tie. I'm envisioning speaking at the banquet that night and people peering and saying, what did he spill on his tie? These big sugar states. Now, how would you start a conversation if you were in my shoes? Not, not a right or wrong answer to this, but you're on a plane flying from Chicago to Houston. You're going to have two hours to, to be able to converse with this woman. How, how would you start that conversation? Well, there's not a right or wrong answer. Here's what I did. I just said, is Chicago home or Houston? She said, Houston. I said, what brought you to Chicago? She said, grandparents. And then they just started the conversation. I introduced myself. I'm Tim. She's Susan. So we're talking, and, and she keeps apologizing to me. I'm so sorry. My daughter's a little active. Da 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 da. Her daughter was actually hyperactive, not just a little active. And and she just kept apologizing. And finally, I just said, Susan, listen, it's fine. 
I have four children. You, you don't need to apologize to me. Now, here's the way this works. If other people have children, they get it. Listen, I've been here and done this. You, you don't need to apologize to me. And if other people don't have children, no amount of explanation is going to do any good. They're just not going to understand. So seriously, you can stop apologizing. I'm, I'm cool with this. We just continued to talk, and then he, here was the moment of truth. Susan sort of leans out of her seat and turns to me and says, Four children? You have four children? How in the world do you manage with four children? She said, I can't even handle one. And, and that was true. She was struggling with handling one. At that point, I went from explore to stimulate. I said, Susan, I, I'm not going to tell you it's easy. I said, actually, our greatest challenge wasn't going from three to four. It was actually going from two to three. She goes, well, why was that? I said, well, it's a totally different strategy. You no longer play man-to-man -man defense. you got to go to zone. She said, zone? I said, it's a basketball term. She goes, oh, yeah, like zone DC. That's, that's hilarious. So I said, but let me tell you what made all the difference for my wife and I. She goes, what? I said, we've tried to base our parenting off of principles we've learned from the Bible. I wish I had a videotape of her reaction. Even with her seatbelt on, she almost fell out of her seat. The Bible? Yes, the Bible. What does the Bible have to do with raising children? What's a great question? Let me answer it. Now, let me tell you what I didn't do before I tell you what I did do. I, I didn't say, Susan, I'm going to give you the five tips to dynamic motherhood. You'll just follow these five tips. You're going to be named Mother of the Year in Texas next year. What I did is I shared the gospel with her. I just said, Let, let's begin at the very beginning. God created this world, all that we see, and it was all very good. But then through our first parents, Adam and Eve, sin entered into the world. They chose to rebel against God, and we followed in their footsteps. So just to make it personal, I said, uh, Susan, do you ever get so angry at your daughter that it just almost scares you? She said, you mean like right now? I said, okay, yeah, that works. I said, why is that? She goes, I, I don't know. I said, could it be that you don't love her? She bristled at that. She goes, I would give my life for this child. She, I said, I, I don't disagree, but yet you say you love her and yet you get so angry at her how, how do you explain that she goes i don't know it doesn't make sense i said actually genesis 3 explains that susan because we have a broken relationship with god that affects everything on earth everything is broken and messed up because of sin and and she listened to me as i walked her through the gospel and and talked about that her greatest need was to have her sins forgiven and have a relationship with Christ. Now, let, let's back up. Suppose there had been a reporter from WGN there, Chicago news station, there at the airport, going around interviewing passengers, and, and ma'am, where are you traveling today? Well, I'm, I'm flying back home to Houston. Well, ma'am, on your approximately two-hour flight from Chicago to Houston, would, would you like to spend all two hours in a conversation with a religious fanatic? Um, no, I'd rather walk. When we landed in Houston, she told me, I, I can't believe I spent two hours talking to you about God. I always thought that was kind of a private conversation, but, but thank you. Now, let's back up. 
how could I have started this conversation with Susan? Well, I, I could have started in this way. Chicago, Homer, and Houston. Houston, what brought you to Chicago? Grandparents, so do you travel a lot? Actually, this was only the second time Susan had ever flown. She flew when she was a teenager and now is a 30-year-old mom. This is only the second plane trip of her life. So I could have said, so you don't fly a lot. No, only my second trip, so you probably don't know. Don't, don't know what? We're way overdue. What, way overdue for what? Well, for a major airline crash. According to statistics, there's a major airline crash somewhere in the world every 418 days. We're at 523 days and counting. Susan, we are way overdue. If this airline were to crash on the way to Houston, do you know for sure where you'd spend eternity? I, I could have started the conversation that way. That's in my repertoire. And how do you think Susan would have responded? I think she would have reached up and pressed the flight attendant call button. The flight attendant came, she would say, ma'am, I know you said there are no empty seats on this flight because of the equipment change. Don't ask for any reseating assignments, but this man is bothering us. Is there like a closet you could lock him in or something for this flight? I, I could have started the conversation and ended it literally before the plane got off the ground, but following this process, exploring, it was very clear Susan felt her greatest need was to be a better mom. I used that as the entryway to point her to what her real greatest need was, which was a relationship with God. So let's talk about these bridges to the gospel. How can we bridge from the secular to the sacred? How can we go from talking about basketball to the Bible or sports to the Savior or from the weather to the Word of God? I like what one person said. He said, we, we shouldn't be so critical of the weather. If the weather didn't change, nine out of 10 of us could never start a conversation. There, there's some truth to that, right? Easy to talk about the weather. But, but how do we talk about spiritual things in a natural way? Let's look at some of these bridges to the gospel. You see these on pages seven and eight. The, the first is the church bridge. This is where you ask a question like, were you brought up in a particular religious tradition? Or if they identify that they were, what, what does your church teach about the way a person becomes a Christian? How does your church teach that we can have our sins forgiven? Notice that's a non-threatening question. You're not saying, what do you believe? You're asking them what their church teaches, but what will their answer tell you, what, what they believe? So I'll meet someone who I, I attend Faith Lutheran Church. Ah, that's wonderful. Well, what do they teach at Faith Lutheran Church about how someone can have their sins forgiven? Well, I'm, I'm not really sure. Okay, that tells me either they don't attend very much or the church is very confusing. And that opens up a conversation. Well, what does the Bible teach about that? So the church bridge. Second, the personal experience bridge. Through the years, have you come to know Christ in a personal way, or are you still on the way? I, I don't recommend that you ask someone if they're a Christian. I, I did this years ago when I was a seminary student in Texas. I was seeking to share Christ with this elderly lady. She was 80 years old, and, and I just asked her, I said, are, are you a Christian? And here was her response. She said, well, duh, I was born in Texas. 
Ain't no Muslim. What do you think I am? Of course I'm a Christian. I'm a Texan. In, in her mind, being born in Texas automatically meant you were in the kingdom of God. <laughs> so instead of asking, are you a Christian, through the years, have, have you come to know Christ personally? Or, or are you still on the way? I, I sometimes will combine that with the church bridge. In your years at Faith Lutheran Church, have, have you ever come to know Christ personally? Or are you still in process, still moving towards that? Third, the intellectual bridge. This was a bridge that I used quite often on the college campus. Students who fancied themselves as intellectuals. In fact, an, an approach that I learned from Becky Pippard, if you're uh, not familiar with Becky Pippard, she wrote an excellent book uh, on lifestyle evangelism called Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. Wonderful book on lifestyle evangelism. Well, Becky Pippard worked with college students in Barcelona, Spain. And even though Spain is quote-unquote a Catholic country, it's a very secular country. I was there six years ago. It's one of the most secular countries I've ever been in, even though quote-unquote Catholic. And most of the college students there claim to be atheists. And Becky Pipper developed an approach from the moment someone told her that they were an atheist, within five minutes she'd have them agreeing to come to a Bible study. Did you know how to do that? I, I would have had no clue how to do that until I heard what Becky did. Here's the, here's the approach Becky would use. She'd start talking to someone and bring spiritual things in, and the, the student would go, oh, oh, no, no, I'm not interested. I'm an atheist. And here's what Becky would do. She would just cross her arms and just stare at this student. Sometimes it would take just a few moments, other times longer, and the student would go, what, what? Becky, I'm, I'm sorry. That just really shocks me about you. Well, well why? Well, because just in the few moments we've been talking, you really seem like a thinking person. You seem like an intellectual person. And don't you realize atheism is really an intellectually untenable position? It just says there is no God. I'm not even going to look at any evidence. I'm just going to cover my eyes, cover my ears, not even look at evidence. Now, Agnosticism is intellectually respectable. Agnosticism says, if God exists, I haven't met him yet. It just shocks me that you call yourself an atheist, one of those narrow-minded fundamentalist types. <laughs> well, you can imagine how the conversation went this to, okay, now that you define terms, fair enough. I'm an agnostic. If God exists, I haven't met him yet, okay? Becky goes, that's great. That's intellectually respectable. I can appreciate that, but... You do realize there are two types of agnostics. There are closed-minded agnostics that say, if God exists, I haven't met him yet, and I'm so closed-minded, I'm so narrow-minded, I'm so fundamentalist, I'm not even gonna look at evidence. And then there are open-minded agnostics. Say, if God exists, I haven't met him yet, but because I'm so open-minded, because I really want to know the truth, I'm willing to look at evidence that he might exist. Which type of agnostic are you? Oh, I'm an open-minded agnostic. You know, that's great. This Thursday night at 7 o'clock at my apartment, there's going to be a group of open-minded agnostics, and, and we're going to study evidence for the existence of God. Becky said, one student said, okay, you got me, I'll be there, but I want to know right now exactly what are, what are we going to study. 
Becky said, we're going to examine primary source documents from the life of Christ. Becky said, this student said, can you get those? <laughs> Becky said, my apartment, 7 o'clock Thursday night. And what they did is just opened up the Gospels and just looked at the life of Christ, not, not through 2,000 years of church history, some of which isn't very pretty, but just looking at the person of Jesus. Becky tells about one of these students calling her, named Stephanie, and Stephanie goes, Becky, I have a problem. Becky goes, Stephanie, what's your problem? How can I help? And here's what Stephanie said. She says, Becky, the more I read about this Jesus, the more I like him, the more I want to follow him. And that is very unsettling to an atheist. She'd forgotten she was now an open-minded agnostic. So, so simply challenging people. One of my professors in seminary came to faith because he was challenged to read the Bible. He showed up on campus thinking he was God's gift to the world. He'd been valedictorian of his high school class, never even made a, a B in kindergarten, straight A student, top of his class, honors program in English. First week on campus, he's in an English honors seminar, and the professor references the Bible. And my professor, as a freshman student, full of himself and arrogant, makes a wisecrack, sarcastic remark, something to the effect of, I, here I thought I was in a university classroom, and I now discover I'm in a Sunday school classroom. Big mistake. You, you don't disrespect your teachers like that. This professor walked over to him and said, so Mr. Toller, you know a lot about the Bible, do you? Uh, no, ma'am. But you have read it, right? No, ma'am. Mr. Toller, tell me you're kidding. No, ma'am, I've never read the Bible. Wow. She went back to her desk and said, I, I need to make a note to contact our admissions department. How do we let people in the honors program in English when they've never read the world's all-time best-selling book? Mr. Toller, tell me you're pulling my leg. No, ma'am, I've never read the Bible. Wow. Contact our admissions people about our standards of admission. <laughs> well, to hear Mr. Toller tell the story, he said, I left class that day with smoke coming out of both my ears. He said, I was ticked off. He said, that was my fault. I, I opened my mouth. I stepped into it. But he said, I left class and immediately went to a bookstore, determined to buy a Bible and have it read before class the next day. <laughs> he said, I'd forgotten how thick a book the Bible was. He said, I didn't get it read before class the next day. It, it took me weeks to read it. But by the time I finished, I had met Jesus. You have to use this advisedly. If you stop for gas on the way home, fill in the pump, or somebody across the pump, you start talking, hey, question for you. You ever read the Bible? No. What? You've never read the world's all-time best-selling book? You call yourself, you know, that, that may not go well. But particularly if you have family members or friends who, who think that you're non-intellectual because you believe in God and you believe the Bible, when actually they're the non-intellectual because they've never even examined the evidence. So sometimes just challenging people to look at the evidence. A uh, fourth bridge is a personal opinion bridge. I, I love this bridge. In fact, it never ceases to amaze me 
how people, how pollsters find people with no opinion. You know, 73% this, 21% this, 8% no opinion. I'm like, who are these people? Where are these people? Everybody has an opinion. Just get on social media. Everybody has an opinion. Personal opinion bridge just picks up on that. You're not saying, can, can you define what it means to be a follower of Christ according to the Belgian Confession of 1583? You're just saying, what do you think? I, I will often ask this. What, what do you think makes a real Christian? But I guess going to church. Okay, so walking into a building defines us. So if I walk into a gym, I'm automatically an athlete. Oh, well, maybe not. Well, what, what, what do you think makes a real Christian? You ask somebody this question, they'll ask it back of you. At that point, I, I like to make a shift. I say, well, on religious matters, I, I like to base my opinions off the Bible. Let me share with you how the Bible answers that question. I started a lot of gospel conversations by just asking somebody their personal opinion. Many times this will work after there's been a scandal, some Christian leader, and unfortunately, that seems to be regular in our world today. Everyone's sort of dismissing, wanting to dismiss Christianity. In fact, uh, Sharon and I, before COVID hit, were riding in an Uber from our, our hotel to a meeting. And I started talking to the cab, cab driver there. He had the music just blaring, you know, teenage loud kind, kind of and Asked him if he could turn it down a little bit. He said, I'm sorry, I'm a musician. That's my favorite song. And so we started talking. So I started just witnessing to him, just asking him if he were a person of faith. And he says, no. He said, don't even go there. He said, I have seen so much hypocrisy in the church. I'm done. I am done. You're wasting your time. I am not the least bit interested. Church is full of hypocrites. I'm done. And he's a musician, so his name is John. I, I said, John, uh, actually, my wife Sharon is a musician as well. She's a piano teacher. Uh, Sharon has a, a piano studio in our home. She teaches 40 piano students each week in, in our home. That's her what she's done for years. And I said, John, let me ask you a question. If, if one of Sharon's students plays Mozart's sonata in C poorly, should we conclude that Mozart was a horrible composer? He goes, of course not, that's all the student. And then he goes, whoa. <laughs> he goes, I, I see where this is headed. I, I said, John, it's, it's not a perfect analogy, but, but I think it's a good one, I think it fits. If there is a Christian who is reflecting Christ poorly, do we conclude that Christ is a horrible savior or is that on that person? They're not following him well. He goes, fair enough, that's on that person. I said, none of us follow Christ perfectly. A hypocrite is somebody who says one thing and does something else. There, there are days I accomplish that before breakfast. But I said, the fact that some people follow Christ poorly does not mean Christ is not worth following, he is. Well, by then we'd arrived at our destination and John says, you know, the stop in the meter, the, the fare's done. But he said, would you have a few minutes where you could just pray for me? Just 
people think, oh, all these hypocrites in the church, I want nothing to do with it. Well, Jesus wasn't a hypocrite. So oftentimes I'll ask people their opinion, what makes a real Christian after there's some kind of scandal? Current Issues Bridge, Billy Graham said that every Christian ought to start each morning with a newspaper in one hand and a Bible in the other. Now, why would he say that? Well, because Billy Graham was an evangelist. And he knew that whatever was on the front page of the newspaper was what people were going to be talking about. What's on the front page of the newspaper today? I don't subscribe to the newspaper. I didn't see, but I know what's on the front page of the newspaper today, right? Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Supreme Court Justice, has died. That, that's what everybody's going to be talking about today, next week in the office. Regardless of where people are on the political spectrum, that's worldwide news everybody's going to be talking about. So how could you possibly bring spiritual things into that conversation? Where we're talking about a Supreme Court justice, where we're talking about wanting to make sure that justice is done. That's, that's why we have a Supreme Court. Well, there, there's a court that's even higher than the Supreme Court. And there's a judge who has promised to judge justly and each one of us is gonna to have to appear in his courtroom one day. You, you see how just simply taking what people are already talking about and how could I possibly bring spiritual things into the conversation? So the current issues bridge. The sports bridge, focusing on a, a well-known athlete who's a Christian. Obviously, this has to be used very carefully, very advisedly. I think in the 40-plus the years that I've been sharing my faith and witnessing, I've probably used this bridge four times, so maybe once a decade. But, but let me tell you when I found it helpful, and that is, and, and ladies, you will understand this, that in general, this is what's called a generalization because it's generally true. In general, men like sports more than women. Now that's a generalization, it's generally true. There, there are women who like sports. Uh, Dr. Nicholson knows my oldest daughter, Christy. She played basketball at Christian Academy her senior year. She was a Kentucky All-Star, voted one of the top 12 players in the state, got a free ride to college to play basketball. If, if Christy heard me say that, she'd go, Dad, I like sports every bit as much as any man. And I'd go, that's true, but you're the exception that proves the rule. If you, if you want to know what... Uh, ESPN thinks is their audience. Ladies, they're not advertising for you. You look at their ads, they're, they're advertising for men. Men in general like sports more than women. And men tend to think that religion's fine for women and children, but we men don't need God. We pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We don't need any help. We, I'm a self-made man, I do it myself. And so I found at least four times over 40 years that simply bringing up, here's an athlete that this person really respects as a man's man. And he also happens to be a Christian. That, that stereotype can fall. The Felt Needs Bridge, let, let me explain both what I, I mean and don't mean by this. I, I'm not suggesting for a moment that a person's felt need is the real need. But many times their felt need is the doorway through which we can address their real need. When I was on that airplane with Susan, she thought her greatest need was to be a better mom. That was her felt need. 
I didn't just try and put a Band-Aid on that need. I, I didn't say, Susan, you're not that bad of a mom. I've known a couple moms far worse than you. And I, I didn't try and just put a Band-Aid on her problem. Here are five tips for dynamic parenting. I used the doorway of her felt need to address her greatest need, her real need. Next, the prayer bridge. In the 40 plus years that I've been sharing my faith, I, I think I have, no, I don't think, I, I know, I have started more gospel conversations by simply asking this question than any other. There, there's not even a close second. And let me tie this in with another principle that Jesus gives us. Jesus says that our eyes are a lamp to our soul. There's a whole lot contained in that, but here's one thing that it means. If you will look deeply into someone's eyes, you can often tell what's going on in their heart. Now, not always, because some of us are good actors, some of us are good actresses, but you can look into someone's eyes and you can see joy. You can see fear. You can see grief. You can see brokenness. And, and if you will just look into people's eyes, you, you'll see what that noted theologian Joan Rivers once observed. The whole world is walking wounded. And so as I've learned just to look into people's eyes, I've, I've started hundreds of gospel conversations in this way. I'll just see someone and I'll say, you know, I, I don't mean to intrude, but you just look like you have the weight of the world on your shoulders. Is there anything I could pray about for you? I've done this hundreds of times. Half the time, right, right at 50% of the time. No, 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 everything's fine. And, and I think, I don't say, because I want to be pastoral and sensitive, but I think, okay, I'll, I'll add your struggle of lying with whatever other burden you're carrying. But what they're saying is, listen, I don't know you. You're a total stranger. I'm not going to unpack my stuff in front of you. But amazingly, half the time, people do open up. Often their eyes will fill with tears. Because people, and, and, and just think of this even pre-COVID. This, this is true pre-COVID. During COVID, it's, it's just, it's on steroids. People are just being crushed by the weight of the world. And if they don't know the Lord, they, they have no place to turn. They have no recourse. And in a COVID world where they can't even connect with their normal channels, pe people are just feeling the weight. <clears throat> Is there anything I could pray about for you? That's opened more doors to gospel conversations than any other question that I've ever asked. Well, we, we do this quite regularly with our family. And so... Uh, our daughter, Chris, I, I mentioned earlier, when she was seven years old, I was pastoring Cedar Creek Baptist Church out on Bardstown Road, just outside the Gene Snyder. And they just built a new Waffle House restaurant there in our parking lot. Uh, I think they may have traced the credit card receipts and discovered that a lot of our church members ate at Waffle House. And so let's just build one right there and make it easy. So one night I had a, a meeting after church and uh, my daughter's best friend's dad was gonna be in that meeting. So somehow they connived their moms into letting them go to Waffle House, just the two of them, a seven-year-old and an eight-year-old and eat, and then their dads would bring them home. So I took them over there, set them down. 
They sat in a booth I could see from my office there at the church, just across the parking lot. I said, you sit in this booth, you do not leave. If Waffle House catches on fire, you stay in this booth. I will see the smoke. I will run over and get you out. Do not leave this booth. I wanted eye contact the whole time. So normally wouldn't allow my seven-year-old to eat there, even accompanied by an eight-year-old, but I, I had my eyes on him. As I come to pick my daughter up, the waitress stops me and said, uh, are you Carissa's dad? I, I said, yes, ma'am. She said, may I share with you what your daughter did? Okay, preacher's kid story, right? Who, who knows what my daughter did? So waitress said, I, I came over and saw your daughter and her friend there, and I said, uh, hello, ladies. Are, are we expecting someone else thinking like maybe Paris? Oh no, our parents know we're here. In fact, and we have money right here, we're ready to order. So she said, I took their order. When I brought their food, I brought it back and said, can I get you ladies anything else? And your daughter said, nope, we got our pancakes, we got butter, we got syrup, we got our chocolate milk. I, I think we're good, but I have a question for you. We're, we're Christians and we're getting ready to pray and thank God for our food. Is there anything that we could pray about for you? This waitress said, I, I looked at your daughter and said, sweetheart, how old are you? Chris answered, well, I'm only seven, but I've been praying since I was three. You, you think I don't know what I'm doing? Four years of praying under my belt. I know how to pray. Who taught you how to pray? Well, my mom and dad, in fact, my dad is pastor of this church right over here. and You need to come hear him preach on Sunday. And this waitress who happened to be new to Louisville and happened to be a believer said, I, I want to come to your church on Sunday. This question is so simple. Even a child can ask it. Tuck this one away. If, if you're saying, you know, I'd really like to be able to share with my neighbor, but I'm not sure how. Tuck this one away. Is there anything I could pray about for you? It will open up doors of opportunity. Okay, a few more. The relationship bridge I, I mentioned earlier. What do you do if you have a family member or friend? They know you're a Christian. They know you're religious. They know you go to church. But you've never really had that conversation, that talk. There on page 8, the relationship bridge. Or maybe on your page 7. God led me to this bridge to the gospel when I was getting ready to graduate from college. George mentioned I was an engineering major at Kansas State University, and I came to know Christ there, was disciple, began to grow, and so I was a very active witness on campus. My last two years, I served as an RA, resident assistant in the dormitory. I had 70 guys on my dorm floor. They were my mission field, and both years, God allowed me the opportunity to share the gospel with all 70 of them. I shared with many of my fellow engineering students. I, I shared with my professors. I had the privilege of seeing one of my professors come to faith. But there was one fellow student, fellow student named Tony, that I'd never witnessed to. You say, well, why didn't you witness to Tony? Well, because Tony was always mocking Christians, always making fun of them. How many of you went to a secular college or university? Okay. Well, while you were there, did you have the, the street preachers that would come stand out in front of the union, Brother Jeb and Sister Sarah, stand out there and yell and scream? I mean, they managed to make it all across the country. We had them on our campus. 
And Tony was a great mimic. He, he did a wonderful President Reagan. I mean, he, he would call, have somebody call and say, please hold for a call from President Reagan. The person what? Then he'd get on there, hello, this is Ron. <laughs> a great, great President Reagan. Well, he was a great mimic and he would mimic these preachers, he would come into the engineering classroom with these giant oak desks at the front, and he'd jump up on, on the top of that desk and begin preaching. Yeah, a bunch of filthy sinners, repent. There were days Tony actually did a better job than the real preachers out in front of the union. So four years passed. I had almost every engineering class with Tony. Good friends, but I'd never opened my mouth to talk to him. Fast forward, it's now two weeks from graduation, and one night, I just came under deep conviction. In fact, I was under such conviction, I, I got on my face on the floor. I said, God, I have failed you, and I failed Tony. I've wasted four years of opportunities to talk to him. We're two weeks away from graduation. I may never see him again. I need to share Christ with him, but I don't know how to get started. I've wasted four years of opportunity. God, if you will just show me how to start a conversation with Tony, I'll do it, but I'm, I'm just stuck. I'm drawing a blank. While I was lying there face first on my floor in a puddle of my own tears, it was as if the Lord whispered to me, just do it. I wish I'd copyrighted that phrase that night. Just do it. Just say, Tony, we've been friends for four years now. Made it through engineering, physics, thermodynamics together, but there's a really important part of my life I've never shared with you. Could I do that? I thought, that's so simple, it's profound. Sure enough, next Tuesday night, we're studying for a final. Tony goes, I'm ready, are you ready? I go, I'm ready, he goes, let's call it a night. I said, Tony, before we do, so man, we've been friends for four years now, getting ready to graduate. But you know, there's a really important part of my life I've never shared with you, could I do that? He goes, sure. So for the next 20 minutes, I shared my testimony and I shared the gospel with him and he listened. When I concluded, he, here was his response. He said, Tim, you don't know how good that makes me feel. He could tell, I mean, I could tell, uh, he could tell I, I was sort of surprised by his response. You, you don't know how good that makes me feel. He goes, Tim, I know you're a Christian. Everybody in this campus knows you're a Christian. Dr. Hodges says he's the reason that, or you're the reason he's a Christian. I, I know you talk to everybody else about their faith, but you've never talked to me. And the only thing I could conclude was, you thought there was no hope for me. You don't know how good it makes me feel that you think there's hope for me. I was Tony's biggest stumbling block. Because the one real Christian he knew who would witness to anything that Boo would not witness to him. And Tony was thinking, well, if Booker thinks there's no hope for me, that must mean God thinks there's no hope for me. He said, you don't know how good it makes me feel you think there's hope for me. Tony didn't come to faith that night, but he heard the gospel. And I learned a very important lesson. And some of you may have family members or friends You've sort of danced around the edges of talking about the gospel, but you've never really had that conversation. And you're wondering, how, how do I have it now? I've, I've wasted months or years of opportunities. I, this relationship bridge is a great way to do it. Just say, hey, you know, we, we've been 
neighbors for years, but there's a really important part of my life I've never shared with you. Could I do that? I, I promise you the answer will be yes. A few more. The history bridge. I, I love history, love the background and history. In all of history, what person's had the greatest impact on the world? With the obvious answer, of course, being Jesus. Now, let me warn you, if you ask someone this question, be prepared for any answer they give. Right? Never ask a question without being prepared for any answer. The first time I used this bridge, I wasn't prepared for the answer. It was uh, the summer of 1984. This was when we were planting a church in Abilene, Texas. It was the third hottest summer in Texas history. Many days got up to 115, and it wasn't a dry heat. And my wife's pregnant. So we need to do laundry. You know, if it's 115 outside, it's 135 in a non-air-conditioned laundromat. So I go to do laundry. There's only one other person there because it's too hot. There's a man sitting in front of the bank of dryers just watching his clothes go round and round. I prayed that morning for an opportunity to witness. So I quickly put our clothes in the washer, came down and sat down next to him, just struck up a conversation. And I'm thinking, okay, how do I bring spiritual things into this conversation? Well, this man was 85 years old. I was 25 years old. So I'm thinking history. Said, sir, you've lived a lot longer than I have. I'm just curious, out of all the people who have ever lived, who do you think has impacted history the most? As soon as I asked the question, I regretted asking it. This man put his head in his hands and he goes, oh, 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 that's a hard question. Oh, and I'm thinking, forget the question, just live. I'm thinking, I've killed this man. I'm so stressing him out with this question. He's like, oh, 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 forget it. I'm, I'm retracing in my mind, is it six chest compressions or eight before I do mouth to mouth? I'm retracing CPR. And finally, what, what seemed like minutes, it was just moments, but finally he lifts his head up and he goes, I know. And I said, who? And he said, Columbus. Now, I'm going to attribute the fact that I burst out into uncontrollable laughter to the tension that I had built up thinking I'd killed this man. But when he said Columbus, I just started laughing and I couldn't stop. I just, he goes, what's so funny? I'm sorry, I know, just Columbus. I, I said, I just wasn't expecting that answer. He goes, well, who would you say? Well, I would say I'm Jesus um, Christ. He goes, well, of course. Turned out the man was a Christian. But uh, if you ask this question, be prepared for any answer. Don't laugh at the person's answer. That will offend them. But the history bridge. Next, the heaven bridge. It's actually a four-part question. I typically use this bridge after someone famous has died and everyone's talking about this person now in heaven, entering the pearly gates. You're, you're gonna hear all sorts of accolades now for Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You know, she's now free from suffering, now, now in the pearly gates. Everybody's gonna be talking about heaven, right? Last time I used this bridge was when President George H.W. Bush died. Everyone talking about he's now reunited with Barbara. He's now reunited with his daughter. They had a daughter who died as a child. So everyone's talking about heaven. So this is a four-part bridge. People talk about heaven. Hey, question for you. Do you think heaven's a perfect place? Well, 
guess I hadn't thought about it much, but yeah, yeah, I, I guess so. How close have you come to living a perfect life? Tough. Well, you know, I do the best I can and all, but the perfect, no, nobody's ever used the word perfect in the same sentence as my name. Question number three is what I call the light bulb question. Well, if God were to let you into heaven as you are, what would happen to heaven's perfect record? I've asked that question to people and I've seen the blood drain from their face. As for the first time in their life, they recognize being good isn't good enough if heaven's perfect and I'm not. What hope do I have? Thus, the fourth question. Do you see the hope found in the Bible verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17? Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he or she is a new creation, a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. A couple more bridges. The profanity bridge. Now, this is not where we use profanity in an attempt to identify with unbelievers. When in Rome, speak as the Romans do. But when someone takes the Lord's name in vain, uh, I have a friend, actually one of my mentors, Dr. Billy Hanks, longtime mentor of mine. Whenever he hears someone take the Lord's name in vain, he always talks to them. I, I told Billy, I'm amazed you have all your teeth. <laughs> we were together uh, traveling. We were in an airport restroom and Billy's washing his hands at the sink and the man steps up to the sink next to him and you know those automatic, you put your hand and water comes out. There was something wrong with this sink. It was like pressurized and this water comes out like it's out of a fire hydrant. It splashes all over this man. And this man standing at the sink next to my friend Billy, water splashes all over him and just like this, he says, Jesus Christ. Billy's washing his hands at the sink next to him, and he turns to this man, and he says, go ahead. The man goes, what? Go ahead. Go ahead what? You've just called on the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer, but you haven't asked him for anything. Go ahead and ask him. Say, Billy, how do you still have all your teeth? <laughs> Billy's response is, you know, I, I know Jesus doesn't need me to defend him. But he said, Tim, if someone slandered your name, I'd, I'd stick up for you. I'd say, no, you have it wrong. And he said, I, I know Jesus doesn't need me to defend it, but if, if somebody takes his name in vain, I, I just want them to think about it. One final bridge then, the responsibility bridge. So sometimes we just kind of get stuck. We, we want to bring spiritual things into the conversation and we're thinking about these other bridges. None of them just seem to fit. I like the responsibility bridge. I don't want to say it's a last resort. You may say, no, this is going to be my first option. But the responsibility bridge is when you just simply say, you know, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And one of our responsibilities as his followers is to share him with others. May, may I share him with you? I've asked that question of people and been told no. I've asked that question of people and been told yes. So. These are different bridges to the gospel. How, how can I start a spiritual conversation in a more natural way? Easy for us to talk about secular things like the weather or sports. How, how can I bridge that to the gospel?